The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, uh, today we are in the final part of this season, which is, which is the end of a lot of the deep theology of Corinthians. Because the next season, which is not going to begin next week, next week we're going to jump into a mini-series that, that we'll announce on email and Facebook. Um, but the next, very next passage after today's passage is, should women wear head coverings in church? It will be a riveting message from the Lord. But for real, this, this, is, the, this is it. This is a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that has a very, 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 very famous verse. It's in your bulletin. It's the memory verse for the week. If you're not committing these verses each week that are on the tearaway in your bulletin to memory, I would encourage you to do so. Psalm 119 tells us, says, Lord, I've hid your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. And the verse for this week is, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And we're going to figure out how we get to this because it's still in this story of Paul talking about Meats in the market being sacrificed to demons. But before we read, I want us to, uh, to pray, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. And I need everyone, as I'm praying, wiggle your cell phone out of your purse or your pocket and get it in your hand. We're gonna, I'm going to need you to do this while I'm praying. So don't worry, my prayer still counts even though you're not paying attention. Father, I thank you for your Word. Lord, today is a message that is very sobering. Today is a message, Lord, that convicted me when I discovered something on my phone this week as I was preparing and as I read commentaries and and read and meditated on this passage, Lord, I, I was convicted and I pray that you would bring that same spirit into this gathering right now, that you would make us a people who understand what it means to do all things for your glory. It's a big church word, glory, Lord, and help us. Help us to know how to do things for your glory and what that looks like in our lives. Because you also tell us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Yet so often religion feels heavy. So set us free today, I pray in Jesus' name. All God's kids said, amen. Okay, does anyone want to take a guess at when the word selfie was adopted into the dictionary? What year? The word selfie. Do you guys all know what a selfie is? Okay, we all know what a selfie is. 2016. Any other takers? Yes. What year do you think selfie was introduced into the dictionary? The first phone came out in 2007? The first cellular phone? Whoa, buddy. You were born somewhere around then, I'm guessing. Because some of us in here had Nokia brick, and we played snake for hours. And we all had the same ringtone. Doot, 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 doot. 2008? No. Almost. 2013. 2013. Now, here's something I discovered on my phone. I'm new to the iPhone. Don't judge me, Android people. I used to be one of you, and then I converted to the dark side, and now I'm with Emperor Palpatine. One of the things I discovered is when I go to my albums, I go all the way down, and under my albums, my phone breaks down my pictures for me. And it's not just ones that I've taken on my phone. And there's a section for videos. There's a section for something called live photos. There's a section for portrait, slow-mo bursts. And then there's a whole section for selfies. And I don't know how it tells. I, I thought maybe it's because I'm using the front camera. But then I realized 
there are pictures that came down from my cloud that were just on my computer, and my phone cataloged them as selfies. Somehow my phone knows when I'm taking a picture of myself. And I thought that was the weirdest thing. And I was thinking about this, and I had heard, heard this illustration recently. And I thought, oh, how crazy is it that literally before we had these, we would go somewhere, and we would actually look at the thing we went to look at. Do you remember that? Not you, Austin. The rest of us. We used to, you'd go to a monument, and you would say, wow. And if you wanted your picture, you had what's called a camera. And you would have to find a stranger that looked like they wouldn't rob you or that you could run faster than if they did try to rob you. And say, can you please take our picture in front of the Eiffel Tower? And now, every place that you go, this is what you see, right? You see someone, and they flip their camera around. They do one of the, hey. So I need, I need everyone right now, take out your camera. You got your phone out. I told you, you had plenty of time. I need you to take a selfie of yourself to get it out of your system. Everyone take a selfie. Take it with the person next to you. There's lots of selfies. I've Googled how many types of selfies. There's the gym selfie. Some of you are guilty of the gym selfie, Bree. There's the duck lip. There's a duck lip selfie. I was a fan of the duck lip selfie with my first Android. I always did that. I don't know why, 2007, all my selfies would be like. Yeah, and then there's this one, a new one, if you're a younger person on the Instagram. There's this one that I think only girls do because I tried it just to see what it looked like. It's called the hand by your lip selfie. I don't think I'm doing it right. There's the food selfie. There's the monument selfie, the waterfall selfie. When I lived in Hawaii, that was before selfies were a big thing. So people would just go to the waterfalls and be like, ooh. Now when you go there, people are like this, ooh. And they want to put themselves in the front of this picture of one of God's most magnificent things. And we do it everywhere. We go, you see, go down to the river walk. People are there. There's this massive river, these constructions of amazing buildings. And people are like, you know what will make this picture better? My head taking up 45% of the frame. Now, I say this because I believe what this passage is talking about today. And the key to bringing glory to God is going to have to start with getting our selfies out of the way. And it's a theme in the Bible. It's a theme that we hear, but maybe we don't think about enough. I know one thing in the Psalms. This is what one psalmist pleaded for. I have asked one thing from the Lord. If you could ask one thing from the Lord, what would your thing be? This is what this psalmist asks. Is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord. Most of our problems, I'm convinced, even more so after the preparation this week, stem from the fact that we want to put ourselves in the center of orbit. And in this passage, it's going to talk a lot about meat and this and that. We need to just read through it so we can get to the primary push that God is trying to encourage and call us into. So let's go to his word. I'm going to start with the last two verses from last week. This is referring to food and eating food that sacrificed to demons. And Christians are free to do it, but should they do it unless it makes someone stumble? And Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that, it, all that is in it. 
if any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you. And for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized? Because of something for which I give thanks. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Verse 1 of the next chapter is the end of this passage. It's one of those weird places where the Bible translation or verse chapter people kind of missed a verse. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now this, if you haven't figured it out yet, is far more than just a message about food, what food to eat. It's not about food. This passage is about your freedom, how to use it, how to operate in it. And in this generation of selfies, I did so much interesting research. And this is, this is something I found out that was sort of sad to me because I, I love, for whatever reason, I've, I've been drawn into my Filipino culture. And would you, would you guess which country in the world is known and notorious for taking the highest number of selfies? It's us. It's me, you, and the guy in the tech booth. That's it. So I'm terrified because of, I have 444 pictures on this phone since I purchased it in the fall. 144 of them are selfies. That's too low. I should be at a 50-50 ratio. Love myself as I love others. I think that's how it goes. No. It's interesting, though, because this idea of counting someone else above you, it's not a foreign concept to Christianity. We, we know this. We've heard this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The problem, the problem is that I think we, we underestimate how much we love ourselves. And in our culture, it's a culture of selfies. Not only selfies, we literally have the, the largest app still in the world for some weird reason is Facebook. We have an app. It's a book of your face and your opinions and your food. And if that weren't enough, we also have Twitter, which is where you can jump into a conversation, scream at somebody and jump out. And if that's not enough, we have Instagram, and Instagram has filters, and TikTok has filters. They have filters to make you look more beautiful than you really are on the outside. Hallelujah, some say. What's interesting is that on this phone, maybe I just haven't figured it out, the beauty filter only works when it's in selfie mode. It doesn't want me to make my friends look more beautiful. The danger in all of this is that we actually become trapped and snared. We become held captive to the, the view of ourself that has to be at a certain level, has to hit a certain number of likes. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you haven't been on social media since it began. But there have been seasons in my life where you post something and it's just so gosh darn brilliant. And it gets two likes. And you think, this this is Socratic. This is some epic philosophy. Maybe my friends just don't get it. 
If you want to get likes, just post pictures of fresh-born babies, preferably laughing. What's interesting, though, is that with all of this connection, people are less connected now than they've ever been. With all of this promotion of self, people have in this country higher rates of depression, higher rates of medicating for depression, higher rates of turning to substances to alleviate their mundaneness of life. Because I think we've missed this concept of what it means to do everything for the glory of God. Now, I need to describe this for you because if you're not a church person like I wasn't, you can read glory a lot. Glory, glory, glory. And we see athletes and we say, wow, look at the glory they're getting or famous people. And you might wonder what glory is. Just for this message today, my working definition of God's glory is always this. And it comes from Isaiah chapter 6. It's when the, the cherubim are screaming at God. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. So when I say glory, what I'm meaning is, it is the, the intrinsic nature of who God is being made public. It's God's holiness gone public. In an athlete, it's the same way. You can have a great athlete who you've never heard of, and then they become famous one day. And when their greatness goes public, that is the glory that they are receiving. So what does it mean to do everything for the glory of God? Now, as far as the food thing, I do believe that we should give thanks. It's right here in this passage. You can eat things and give thanks for them. Some of you might be gluten intolerant because you forgot to give, give thanks. That's just my belief. It's probably not true, but it sounds good. Some of you are religious to the T and you give thanks before every meal. Maybe some of you have adopted some of my things. Sometimes I won't give thanks until I taste the food because I want to see if it's something to be thankful for. Right? You go over to someone's house and they make something. And you say, what are we having for dinner? And they're like, oh, this is a, a rice pilaf goulash. Let's pray. And I'm like, let's hold off on the prayer. Let me know. I'll let you know how we're going to pray as, as we make it in. The Bible says to give thanks. But that's not, that's not what it means to give glory to God in your food. Just to say, thank you, Lord, and then you can eat. Thank you, Lord, for this drink. Now I can eat. There's, there's something deeper here. In 1 Timothy 4, 1-5, it says this, and this should frighten us. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage. They demand abstinence from food that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. So this is the start. You have to, we have to begin to say, okay, Lord, if I'm going to do everything for your glory, I need to make sure that I am diligently understanding the truth, that I'm not going to be in the later times as people who depart from the faith, the faith the faith that Jesus is who he said he was. That he did what he said he did. But it's so easy. There are so many voices that are bombarding us day in and day out. And I'm not telling anyone in here to be closed-minded. Actually, the very opposite is true. I want us all to be thinking, to be 
aware of the messages that are bombarding us, to learn how to grapple and wrestle with them according to the truth that is found in God's word. But still, how do we get to this point? I know how I can eat and drink. I give thanks. If you want to do everything to the glory of God, it always starts with giving thanks. Giving thanks for your spouse, whether you like them or not. Giving thanks for your job, whether you like it or not. Giving thanks for the food, whether it's amazing or whether it's a rice pilaf goulash. But if you want to find the truest version of yourself, you have to look at what Paul was saying in the, this morning's passage. That he would give up his rights so that he wouldn't cause another person to stumble. He would give up himself so that someone else could be brought nearer. To find the truest version of yourself, you have to give up the pursuit of what this world calls self. It's, it's interesting if, you, if any of you have gone to counseling. I'm a big, I'm a big advocate for therapy. I, I think all of you need therapy. If you haven't gone yet, you better get going. It'll make my job easier. One of the things, though, that is difficult, if you go to therapy, if you go to counseling, I went to, I remember my first counseling, I had to go to a counselor for anger management. This was my first counseling appointment. I was a middle teen, and and my mom had to trick me to get me there because I was so angry. She said, oh, we're going to go get your physical for sports. And I was like, cool, jumped in the car, and she was like, just kidding, we're going to a counselor. I'm like, what? And I burned through a few counselors that I didn't care for until there just happened to be a very attractive counselor to me. And I was like, this is a good counselor, mom. Let's keep going. But the weird thing about it is that in counseling, they're, they're going to solve your problem. What's going on with you? Let's talk about your childhood. Let's look at what things you're doing that are making these bad patterns emerge over and over and over again. The Bible has a very different view of how healing begins. The Bible's view of how healing begins, I read it in the beginning. It's not looking at you. It's not looking at selfies. It's one thing have I desired. To dwell in the house of the Lord. And to behold. To look at his beauty. To get my eyes off of me and onto him. And when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He fused two together. He said, to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. There is no you in that equation, unless you're counting, love your neighbor as yourself. In which case, you're missing the commandment. Jesus already knows how much we love ourselves. We wake up thinking about ourselves. We wake up thinking about our lives. It is rare that you wake up thinking about someone else's life unless they're going through some major tragedy. To find this truest version of yourself, you have to give up pursuing what this world calls self. You have to begin shifting your gaze off of yourself and starting with on to God and let that funnel your vision to your neighbors, to those who are around you, to someone besides you. Real freedom comes when we give up hope in our own strength. When we bank, instead of our strength, we bank on his strength. Real peace, real joy, real freedom, real ability to love people begins when we say, Lord, it's not about me. It starts with you. And then it trickles and overflows into others. We glorify God. We bring glory for God when, out of love for him, we lay down our self-centered rights. We lay down our self-centered freedoms. We can bring glory to God in all things when we say, it's not about me. 
Now, this is hard. There's a story that I love. How many of you have seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? I just just love it. I love it. I can't get my brother to see it. Uh, My brother who was in the army, he was like in the Rock'em Sock'em army, like the army ranger people or whatever. And this is a story of a man named Desmond Doss. He was the most notable conscientious objector, which means he didn't want to fight. He wanted to go be a medic. And in World War II, he had enlisted, and he did not want to touch a gun. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's a brilliant movie, very bloody, very rated R. I'm not promoting it because pastors don't watch rated R movies, but I've heard about this movie, okay? And everyone mocked him and tried to get him out because they didn't want somebody who wouldn't fight alongside them, who wouldn't be their brother. And on May 5th, 1945, two days before the Germans surrendered and began the ending of the war, there was a battle at Hacksaw Ridge in Japan on the other side of the, the world. And this, this man, Desmond Doss, during a retreat, all of his squad went down and only a, less than a third made it back down Hacksaw Ridge. And defying orders, for a period of time, he went into the enemy territory and he drug out people. One by one, giving them the medication, grabbing them, dragging them out, getting them down the ridge, going up, dragging them out. And he saved over 75 people in that one day. When no one else was up there, he put his own life on the line over and over and over and over again. And the best line from that movie, I don't care, this might be the best line from any movie for a pastor. When he's exhausted and he's got blood-burned hands from the rope. One more, Lord. Help me get just one more. And he goes in again and again and again. This is what the path is for doing all things for the glory of God. To say, I I don't have to be the center. It's not about me. I want to pour out my life for others. And of course, there's a great example of this in the Bible. It's the only name we have on this stage. It's the only name that's on the sign out front of the chapel. Jesus. He is the only person who perfectly laid down his life. He is the only person who perfectly lived for the glory of God in everything that he did. Whether he was healing a blind person or whether in John chapter 2 he was flipping tables and whipping people, both stories were perfectly in line with the glory of God. The stories of reaching down and lifting up the adulteress the stories of going into a person's house and healing a dead daughter. The stories of being betrayed, yet saying nothing to defend himself. How quick we are to defend ourselves. If there is any encouragement in Christ, as Philippians 2, 1-4, if there's any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. What would this world look like? What would, forget the world, what would our life look like? If we became less obsessed with the selfie culture and more obsessed with whatever you call taking pictures of other people now. I guess they just call those pictures still. Because othery doesn't have a nice ring. U-E, othery, groupie. Groupie's got a whole different meaning. 
You can go the path of trying to discover yourself. But I want to challenge you today, as I was challenged this week, that the path of self-discovery ends when you stop trying to discover yourself. It begins with your attention turning from here and looking up and out. We, we have these sayings in Christianity. We have these sayings at the chapel. We, we live for Jesus because what he has done for us. We don't earn our way to heaven. There is no ladder you can climb. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know that I will drive this point home. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you are free today, if you want to be, from the external constraints of false religion and the internal constraints of your selfishness. And you're not free because you were good enough to be free. You're free because Jesus looked at you and he looked at me and he said, that person needs serious help. They are a train wreck of self-centeredness. Their selfie to other ratio is 100 to 1. Maybe not in your phone, but in life. The beauty of it, the beauty of it for me, is that the thing we call the gospel. That Jesus would take my place. He would look at all of my selfishness and say, you know what? I'm going to go give all of my selflessness. I'm going to pour out everything, and I'm going to give Ryan the credit for that. Now, we have other verses that we know about, and some of them are in the back of your bulletin. This concept, Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. That means take up death daily. Deny self, take up death. We do this when we baptize people. We say you are dead to your sin and alive in Christ. So here's the prayer that I prayed this week. <laughs> and I prayed and <laughs> I, I prayed and I talked to myself in the third person, sort of like one of those weird celebrities. Because Ryan Tyrona was leading Ryan Tyrona into stupidity, into fear and worry, and it led me into trials that I didn't need to be in. So I told God in this very weird dualistic way, I said, God, Ryan Tyrona has to die again. Kill him. Kill my selfish ambitions. Kill my desire to be the center. Kill my desire to be liked by other people for something that I say. Kill him, Lord. This is what Paul means. When he says, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer Ryan Tyrona who lives. It is no longer Amber who lives. It is no longer Ree who lives. It is no longer Lynn who lives. It is no longer Truck who lives. It is no longer Rob or Don or Derek or Jocelyn who lives. We're dead to ourselves. And the good news, the gospel, is that we live because when we threw our old rotting carcass corpse spiritually on the cross, Jesus says, now, now you get me. And when we have Jesus in us, we can love without expecting anything in return. We can forgive without needing, without needing someone else to reciprocate. I don't know if any of you have been in this situation, but man, this is like a default for me. My heart is so, so selfish. My heart gets so hurt. And this is what I do in fights sometimes with my wife. We get in a fight about once every year, okay? Uh, and that's a lie. 
but we'll get in an argument. And then because I want to be more Jesus-y, I'm going to, in my mind, I'm already starting. I'm like, okay, I know that I'm sinning. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to apologize first. I will beat my wife to the apology finish line 99% of the time, mostly because I think my mouth works faster, okay? But here's how I know I'm not doing it out of a Christ motive. Because here's, here's what I do. I'll say, after the fight, I'll walk away. I'll be grumpy. That's my default. I walk around and stare. I'll do the silent treatment for a little bit. And then I'll lay down and I'll say, I'm sorry for being a jerk. And then here's what's happening, my internal dialogue. Okay, you said sorry. Now it's her turn. If she doesn't say sorry, is she really sorry? Does she think she just won because you said sorry and she didn't say sorry? So in my head, that's all going on. But on the outside, I'm just looking at her like, do you have anything to say to me? Do, do you have anything to say to me? No? No? Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pray for my wife this week. She needs... Because as the gospel, as the gospel gets into us, and pray for me, because I should be able to forgive or to love without expecting anything in return. This is what we mean when we say unconditional love. Guess, how, guess what the condition of unconditional love is? There's, n- there's no conditions. It's just love. Human love is very conditional. I, I love you. Do, you. do you love me still? Do you love me too? I'm sorry I was a jerk. Do you have anything to say? And we're so consumed, which is why I think that psalmist really keys us in on the first thing. You, you take your eyes off of yourself. Let your desire grow more and more. I want to see God. I want to see how beautiful God is. When Moses was on the mountain, he said, Lord, let me behold your glory. I, if I were Moses, in my selfishness, I'd be like, Lord, turn me into Superman. I want to fly at least. I want lasers from my eyeballs at least. Moses, I just want to see you. I just want to see you. The psalmist says, I just want to behold. I want to look at how beautiful you are, God. If you want to do everything for the glory of God, begin with looking at God and saying, Lord, help me to see how beautiful you are. Help me to see how beautiful the story of the cross is, that you would take me, that you would give me all of you, and that not only would you just give me a good report card, you wouldn't just swap that. No, you swapped my whole heart. The Bible says, that God will take out stone hearts and put in hearts of flesh. Now here's the reason why I had you take out your phones today. Not so that we will stop taking selfies. Selfies are part of our culture. Some of you here are great at selfies. I just learned this week as I was doing all this selfie research. Um, I learned how to take a picture of me that's more flattering. Isn't that weird? I used to just take selfies like straight on, right? And then here's what you do. If you're about 40, you have to look into the light. And you go up, so it hides your double chin, and you look out of your eye. That's a much more flattering look. I was doing these, like my nostrils are all here. If you look at my phone or my wife's phone, my daughter, she has not learned how to do selfies yet. I can see everything up her nose. She's got three chins, and she's only six years old because she just selfies with the iPad in her lap. And then there's a bunch of puppy ones with the the fake ears from Facebook. The reason why I wanted us to do this is because the next time you take a selfie, which is going to be today, <laughs> probably, I want you to have a physical reminder that this is just a picture, but the goal is to get my eyes off of myself. Every time you look at a selfie, I want you to think, this is not the goal. I did this great for a memory. It's part of our cultural experience. But the goal is for me to look at God. 
I wonder how many more pictures of waterfalls we'll have without people in it, just from this body here. Like, maybe I shouldn't take a selfie. Maybe the waterfall is more beautiful. Maybe the Eiffel Tower is more magnificent than my chins. Maybe we can use this tool, something that we all use every day, to remind us that Jesus, the person, the only person who lived, who by his right, by his being, was worthy to be looked at, was worthy to be admired, was worthy to be the center because he is the creator of the universe. Through him, all things exist and are sustained. But even Jesus humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. The person who deserved it still humbled himself. We don't deserve it, yet we promote ourselves. This has a a myriad of practical applications. If you look at other people and you're quick to judge their sin, but not your own, It's because you're looking at the worst in them and the best in you. Because the self, the selfie is dangerous. After I learned how to selfie, you should have seen me. I was amazed at how well it worked. And I thought, this is exactly what we do in Christianity. The longer you're in the church, the more you know how to look. The more you know that I don't want people to see this side of me. I want people to see this side of me. The reason we can be free from this is because Jesus sees every side of you and says, I love you. You will never, ever, ever, ever escape my love for you. Miss Rhea is um, is going to to visit her potential new grandbaby soon, right? It's coming out any time. And so she scheduled me to lead worship next week. And I just picked all the songs, and I sent out an email to the, to the people, the choir singing next week. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to have to sing some new songs that we've never sang before. Because the song in my heart, there's this one song called The God Who Stays. He's the God who stays no matter what. When we feel unworthy, he's staying. When we feel like we failed, he's staying. When we feel like we've done something so atrocious, so abominable to God, God says, I'm right here. More than Desmond Doss went up to the battlefield to drag people down. He got 75 people. God is waiting for you every single day in your darkest moment, in your best moment. He's saying, I'm here. And the amazing thing is, is when we get that same spirit in us, when we say, God, kill Ryan Tyrona and live through this body, all of a sudden we can pour out our life with no fear, We can pour out our life with such love that we expect nothing in return. We can pour out our life and trust that God is in control no matter what what storms are circling around us. But it begins with taking our eyes off of us and looking at Him and letting that overflow in how we look for others. Have you died to yourself? There's a lot of ways that people, how do you become a Christian? And there's this famous prayer, it's called the sinner's prayer, or variations of it. Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive my sins, come into my heart. Which is not in the Bible, by the way. It's just a conglomeration of thoughts that are around and in the Bible. I think it's really cool if we change the sinner prayer to something more like graphic and understanding. Lord, I'm dead. (laughs) Be my life. Get my eyes off my dead self and onto your living self. I want to follow you. I want freedom, Lord. I want freedom from religious chains that would bind me with rules. I want freedom from my internal insecurities and selfishness. 
that I can be an other person. However you want to start or initiate a walk with Jesus, it contains some of that. That's why we go through the baptism, to emphasize you're dead into yourself, but you're alive in Jesus. It's very easy to start in one sense because it's just you believing the gift that God gave you. It's very hard in another sense, and I understand this difficulty because you are dying. Your ambitions will get crucified. Your self-esteem will be crucified. But you'll find a freedom that, that I can't or I haven't seen experienced anywhere else. Freedom that says you are enough because Jesus is enough for you. So if you've never done this, man, I would encourage you to do that today. Don't leave without talking to someone today. There will be someone up front to talk with you today. But let's, let's just walk out and be grateful that the very person who died for us now lives in us. And let's practically take one step at a time. And let's make that step. If you're a huge selfie person, man, you're going to be praying a lot. You're going to be like, dang it. <laughs> Maybe stop taking selfies. I don't want to pray this much every five minutes. But every time you see someone taking a selfie, let that alarm go off in your head. Myself is not the goal. Every time you take a selfie and you admire your good angle that I just taught you, 45 degrees and up, remind yourself, that's not the goal. The goal is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The goal is to love others with this same tenacity that I am hardwired to love myself. And let's see what happens. Let's see what changes. I'd love to hear your stories as you take this and apply the, this balm to your life. If you've never followed Jesus, today can be the day where you start. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, and your love endures forever. It amazes me, God, that you would love us so much. You love us despite us. Lord, you love me every time I, I look at a selfie. You love me every time I'm thinking about myself, which is basically from dawn until nightfall. You love me anyway, and I'm thankful how you've changed me this week. Lord, today I pray that you would continue to crucify Ryan Tarona's flesh on the cross, that you would squeeze out more of the old me and pack in all of you that I can handle, Lord, that I could have this as my desire, to behold your beauty and to love my neighbor with radical, selfless, sacrificial love. Lord, let it be so in our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.